I'm going to also take a second to tell you all about one of our show sponsors. That's Norse Fire Equipment out of North Dakota. Whenever I first started talking about having sponsors for the show, I really wanted it to be genuine businesses that are firefighter owned and operated and people that have good business ethics and have a good mission. Matt Vercota reached out to me from Norse Fire Equipment. He and I have spoken and, and talked back and forth a little bit, got to know each other. And he seems to fit that criteria. He's a full-time firefighter and founded this company in 2020 to provide a good place for firefighters to be able to get equipment that they needed to be able to do their job and have it at a good price and just good quality equipment instead of some of these places that want to sell you real cheap crap. For Y'all go over to NorseFireEquipment.com, coupon code COWBOY5. That'll get you 5% off on your online orders. All right, guys, on with the show. Hey guys, I'm going to take a second and tell you all about First Line Fire Service Training. It's a badass page on Facebook. I encourage every single one of you to go and follow them. Dennis is a retired fire chief. He's been a huge supporter of our show for since the very beginning. He's believed in Third Alarm Cowboys and our mission of making firefighters better. Dennis also has the same mission of being able to train firefighters, make them better. He's using all of his years of experience of 20 plus years, plus his military background to offer training ideas. He travels all around the country, speaking at different conferences, trying to help guys get better when it comes to their tactical ability, when it comes to their physical ability and everything in between. He's really pushing things to the limits, especially for an older guy that's retired. He's still getting up every single day putting his gear on, going out in the driveway, doing crazy-ass workouts that most of us couldn't even handle. He's still getting out there getting it done. He also does a weekly training video on first-line fire service training, offering up when every type of uh, tactical and operational skills that he's learned throughout his career through working from other people. One thing that's really impressive to me about Dennis is that he – owns the fact that most of the things that he has learned and sharing are things that he learned from other people and he's just passing that on. That's something that he and I have in common. He's taking all the information he took from his career and sharing it on to the next generation to make the next generation solid and better firefighters. That's a great mentality to have. He's the kind of guy that people should be listening to when it comes to learning about what to do in the fire service with their career, with their tactics, and with their operations. So y'all go check them out on Facebook, First Line Fire Service Training, LLC. Send Dennis a message that you heard about his business from our show. If you're putting on any kind of training conference, Dennis is the guy that you need to contact. Get him in the door and let him share his knowledge to make the people in your area that are attending the conference better. And just know that... I support his business and he supports mine. And that's the kind of people that we need in the fire service to make us all better and stronger. This is one of our newest show sponsors. This is a business that was started by Chief Dave Robertson. And really what it all came down to is he knows that getting a fire job or getting promoted for the first time is incredibly hard. It's always a long process. It can be frustrating and it's, it's really incredibly challenging. What's even more challenging is that when you know that you always wanted to be a firefighter and that you would make a great firefighter or even more so being a great officer or chief and you just feel like no one will look at your resume or nobody will even give you a chance or take you serious for that promotion. So Chief Dave works really closely with you know creating just a team of two, the two of y'all. He's all about giving you the commitment that's unmatched towards achieving your, your career goals and exactly what you want to do.
He will mentor and coach you to help you become the kind of candidate that these fire departments are all looking for and they can't miss. Chief Dave from Fire Edge, he comes with 25 years of fire service experience. Guys, go listen to the episode that I had him on the show. He talks all about it. He's been there and done that and actually earned his stripes in this business. On the business side, he's got thousands of hours of coaching and training, leading, consulting, recruiting, building hiring processes, you know, you name it, and he's done it. Chief Dave, just talking to him, he's all about the one-on-one connection. He's all about customer service, and he really genuinely does care about the fire service as a whole and the next generation of guys that we're bringing into this business for a 30-year career. That all leads to having a strong passion with what you're doing and who you're working with. That's the 100% commitment that Chief Dave has given to me uh, with the Third Alarm Cowboys and what he's given to every single one of you out there across this nation and in Canada that are wanting to get involved in the fire service and are wanting to make that next step. Truly, it doesn't matter if you are just a recruit that's aspiring to get a fire career job or you're a company officer that's wanting to become a chief or a chief officer that's wanting to move any high, even higher. What you got to do is figure out your why and find your passion that makes you truly love this job. And that's what Chief Dave Robertson is doing with Fire Edge. So guys, give him a chance. Go look him up. Give him a phone call. He's putting his personal number out there for the Third Alarm Cowboys podcast listeners to give him a call and get your fire career either started and going or moving in the direction in which you want to do. So give Dave a call at 519-384-3072. And that's Fire Edge Career Coaching, Training, and Consulting. Y'all go give him a chance. Go get to know him. He's a great guy. Go listen to the podcast episode that I had him on. That's Chief Dave Robertson. Dispatch to all units. This is a third alarm. Switch to the TAC channel. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the TAC channel. I'm your host, Heath Meredith. This is the Third Alarm Cowboys podcast. This is the podcast for firefighters. We talk about real-life situations, stuff in your station like leadership and promotions, and stuff in your personal life like relationships and finances. You name it, we talk about it. Some things may be a little controversial, but that's real life, and that's what we're going to talk about on this show. All right, guys, I'm going to jump straight into it so I don't waste any time. I have a insanely special guest on the show today. I've been following his content for a while. He's got a really big social media presence and I'm just going to jump straight to it guys. I'm really excited about this interview and getting to talk about stuff that's special to me and uh, you know bringing bringing the awareness to the fire service of uh, the fact that we are a blue collar job. Welcome to the show Chad Costa. Yeah right on man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Um, well, I'll, uh, you know, for the guys that don't know you and stuff, I'll just go ahead and let you do a little bit of an introduction. I know that you're a chief out on the West coast. Uh, and you recently, one of the main things that caught my attention was that article that you put out about promoting, you know, hard workers and that kind of mindset. And it was on, uh, it was fire rescue one, wasn't it? And that who ended up. Correct. Okay. That's what I thought. So, um, for those of you that haven't, or haven't been following, 
you know, we, we talked a little bit before we started recording, but, you know, kind of tell the guys where you grew up and uh, a little bit of your background. And I know you said you're a family man, so. Yeah. Yeah, I have to do that. Uh, I, 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 I am on the West Coast in California, about an hour, you know, depending on traffic, but um, no traffic, about an hour, hour and a half north of San Francisco. Um, Santa Rosa, kind of the biggest town, Sonoma County wine country. Um, <clears throat> grew up, you know, in the rural area of Sonoma County on a ranch, um, you know, kind of, uh, my parents did, didn't go to college. Uh, my dad, I remember my dad, you know, and mom telling me like, Hey, get a, get a job and, uh, start making money and start working. But, but as, as I was raised, uh, like a lot of people, I'm sure listening, um, you know, cutting your own wood, splitting your own wood, uh, feeding the horses, feeding the cows, those kind of things. It wasn't a big ranch, but um, it was it, <clears throat> my whole background being raised was based off of blue collar work. And uh, that's just how it was. Um, and then got in the fire service was interesting. I'm sure a lot of listeners know Brian Brush. Um, Brian from Oklahoma was actually ironically uh, who got me into the fire service. We grew up in the same uh, same town um, and we were best friends you know for many years and and now we're on kind of opposite ends of the country but he's obviously doing very well for himself uh, so so yeah that's my background 25 years in the fire service um, a currently assistant chief uh, number two in the department you know run operations of fire and EMS and I'm, it's a smaller department so I kind of wear like 17 different hats uh, administration, do all the hiring, recruitment, retention. <sighs> yeah. Everything that comes underneath the umbrella of operations, administration, communications, technology, all that. So um, <clears throat> big focus in our organization uh, of hiring, probably hired 20 to 30 plus people in the last couple of years. So, you know, very, very aware of, um, generational changes very aware of work ethic changes and and like we'll get into you know just it's a different world like i shared with you before the show uh i just told you about my background i have a 17 year old step stepson that i've been around since he was one um and we live you know kind of in a track home and he was raised completely different than i was and he doesn't you know doesn't have that blue collar understanding and work ethic good in school, great kid, love him to death. But if I threw him in a firehouse at 18, um, you know, he would, he would struggle just like a lot of the kids that, that we hire these days. And like, you're right. It, you know, it isn't there. It isn't his fault. Uh, it's just a different way of being raised. And, uh, that's the challenge, you know, that the modern day fire service has to deal with for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's definitely how I feel about it saying, you know, before the show was that working in the Houston area, uh, majority of the people that I worked with all grew up living in apartments or rental homes and all that kind of stuff. So having to learn how to mow and run a weed eater or a chainsaw and all that was like literally never on their spectrum at all. Uh, which yeah. on the opposite hand, most of those people all grew up, you know, they were using pretty high level of technology in school and all that. And they were very computer savvy. They know all that IT type stuff where, and I don't have a clue. So, uh, yep. it's, it's kind of cool the different dynamics, but, my personal opinion on it, what I've seen happen probably in the last five or six years is we've, we've kind of overemphasized on a lot more of your certifications, uh, formal education 
side of things. And it seems like at a lot of places we're steering away from that blue collar side. And at the end of the day, you know, you hear the old adage that you never heard it. You never saw a textbook put a fire out. And that is in partial truth. The knowledge from that textbook may help you put the fire out, but the, the blood and the sweat and the, you know, the dirt and the grit and everything that goes along with having to truly perform on a fire ground, you get from that blue collar side. Um, yeah, I mean, that's basically, to me, that's kind of what I took from your article uh, and that through your career, you've seen the transition and yep. basically, you know, how do we write this ship? Uh, <laughs> yeah, so true, man. I mean, uh, <clears throat> hopefully I'm not cutting you off, but no, no, uh, no, go ahead. This show's for you, man. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like, I'm just, yeah, yeah. My brain's going crazy. Gosh, it's such a. I was sharing with you before the show, um, you know, in the executive fire officer program, almost done with it, traveling back to, uh, to the East coast there to sit in a room with, you know, 30 plus chiefs from all over the country, captains too. Um, guess this topic comes up, uh, you know, in the cafeteria, it comes up in the class, comes up probably at every, I, I guarantee, you know, every coffee table at every firehouse, uh, across the country, you know, this topic has came up if not multiple times and, <laughs> It's it, it just is, and it's 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 really easy to understand when you simplify it, in the sense of it's a generational change, you know. Um, and we're we we the the forty plus, uh, you know, forty around. If you're forty years old, around forty and a, or, or or older, and still in the fire service, you walked into <clears throat> like I did. Um, I remember, you know, as a kid in the fire service when I was new, 17, 18, 19 years old, talking with those senior officers, those senior firefighters in the station. And, and I remember them telling me, I'd say, Hey, <clears throat> what was it like when you got hired or how'd you get hired? And I remember one of the most well-respected people that I know, um, retired now, of course, uh, he said, well, I could, uh, I could paint. And he, what he meant was auto, you know, auto detailer kind of painting. And, uh, and I said, what? And he's like, yeah, when I, when I did my interview with the fire chief, he said, what can you do? And so he explained to them that he's, you know, he can do a lot of things, but, but his specialty and what he was doing as a job was painting cars. And the fire chief goes, perfect. You're hired. Uh, we have uh, an engine that needs to be painted. And, <laughs> You know, now fast forward, what, 30, 40 years later, um, yeah, you know, you'd, you'd probably get fired if you asked that question. But, um, <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Like, that's, it's just a different world. And we are we are charged with, you know, being the leaders in the fire service, knowing what, what it was for us, and then being faced with this change and trying to figure out how, you know, how to navigate that and how to continue to put the best people on the floor. Um, and and, and I don't want to get too sidetracked because I think I could get on the topic of what, what's a good firefighter. Um, that's important. That's an important discussion. For many times, many, many years of my career, you know, what was, what was the best firefighter um, or what is what makes a, a great firefighter? Many people, and I probably would have answered this question 20, you know, 30 years ago, um, differently than, uh, differently than I would today in the sense of, I would have said it would have been focused on, you know, heat holes and 
and rescues and, and your knowledge of the technical expertise of the job. And that's still true today, and that's still very important that we stress that. Um, but also, but also the world's changing, the job's changing, and we also need to value education. Like, and that's what my article really tries to drive home is, is there is a balance. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a balance, and and one thing I really want to tell the listeners is is that I recognize that every fire department isn't the same. So the larger your fire department, the more difficult it is to do some of the things that I'm going to talk about today. The smaller you are, sometimes the, it's easier. Um, depending on your HR department, depending on if you're a district or a city, you know, all those things are going to be factors. Like I have people, you know, challenge me like, I work in this, you know, this very large metropolitan fire department. You know, how do we change this? And it's like, well... <laughs> it's going to be a different challenge and much difficult, much more difficult for some organizations than it is for others. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to come across as like anything that I say or any of my opinions are just, you know, are just uh, the way it should be for every department across the country. Like obviously every, every department has its different uh, hurdles and challenges depending on the structure and the size. But, but really what's important to me is and the way I hire in the way I promote and what I value and what I push down through the officers and the people that want to promote through our organization or the mentorship that I do for anybody that reaches out to me and asks for help or some thoughts is to try to find that balance because ultimately it's one thing I tell my son this, you get a job in the fire service and you're a firefighter, you're boot on the ground, you're um, <clears throat> working that engine, that truck, that ambulance, whatever it is, uh, Education isn't, I, I don't think it's as important as it is. Fast forward 15, 20 years later, now you're trying to be a BC, um, maybe an assistant chief, a division chief. As you as you move up through the ranks, education becomes more important. Um, mm-hmm. And so what I try to stress to the kids that coming up today is, is if you just focus on one or the other, uh, you're... I, I think that's that's a mistake. I think it's it's more about the balance. It's more about understanding that education is important important. And what I mean by that is I've seen plenty of people promote up through the ranks and get to a chief role and not you know, the education isn't there. Mm-hmm. Now, does that mean that they can't be a good chief? No. That that's not that's not at all what I'm saying. But I'll speak for myself. The more I went to school, the more education I got, you know, associates, bachelors, and my masters, um, I become, I become a better chief officer. And it's improved my ability to, to write. It's improved my ability to explain things to the union, to the city manager, to the fire chief. Um, it, has, it has improved my abilities to communicate um, so, so there is value in it, but going back to that, going back to your original statement, like shame on us as the fire service to say that certifications and degrees are the most important thing, or they are, um, weighted, uh, more than, than your abilities to do the blue car part of the job, because realistically you're right. That is the job. I mean, that is what we do. We go out and we work and we fix problems for people 
it doesn't my engine company last night i was showing my wife got dispatched to a bat in the house and and yeah that doesn't take blue collar work but she's like you're kidding me they're going to that and i'm like that's today's fire service hon uh-huh. like whatever the problem is who do they call us so yeah, yeah. if it's a plumbing issue like you mentioned if it's a um you know a heater issue it's two in the morning it's below zero um you know we it's it, it's pretty cool if we can show up to that house and get that heater going again for mrs smith for sure. uh, so she doesn't freeze for the night right so for sure so the article um i just wanted to kind of get that out there that i really don't want to push an agenda of one way or the other i really just think it's about the balance it's about 30 years of your career not just the first year Mm-hmm. Um, and trying to get people to understand that from a fire service perspective, we can't sit at the table and have this argument all the time. We cannot sit at that coffee table and blame them and say they got to figure it out and, and adjust to us. Because the more we do that, the more we fail and the more we fall behind. Ultimately, it's on us as leaders to to fix this or try to fix this. It's on us to change our entry-level academies. Uh, I have a, a department near me that when they do entry-level um, recruitments, the first week of the academy, they build a, um, a, a central, essentially a model home um, so oh, okay. that kids can have the, uh, the option or the opportunity to use a hammer, to use nails, to use the skill saw, to use the sawzall, to use the chainsaw, to use the measuring tape. I was going to say, learn um, to measure stuff. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, a, exactly. that's a great idea. That well, is a great and they, idea. And we have to do this because... because yeah, your high happens, schools and stuff aren't teaching the trades anymore. No. <clears throat> no, and you and that brings up a great topic is like... I'm so It's so awesome when I hear about a high school out there across the country. I do a lot... Um, I get a lot of... I don't know... Uh, exposure for for some of the high school development programs and stuff I'm trying to do here but I'm trying to work with the high schools to get the fire service back into the high school and what I mean by that is the blue collar part of it and and when that stuff when auto shops started going away mm-hmm. and wood shops started going away yeah well that didn't help our that. problem that didn't help no it, it in fact um, Joe Rogan or not Joe Rogan Mike Rowe would probably agree with me here um, oh yeah <laughs> god what a, he's yeah what he's a, built an entire career around this <laughs> yes 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 we see eye to eye on a lot of things very much um so. but we're going the wrong direction well okay so now you get this recruit academy of how many people and most of those people haven't had those opportunities we throw them in a fire station and then we bitch at them and complain that they don't know how to do all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, well, what good does that do? And if we, and if we kick them out or fire them or get rid of them and then we hire someone else, well, who's to say that they're not going to have that same challenge. So they more than likely so changing are. <laughs> our thought process. Yeah. We got to change that thought process. We got to understand that some of this stuff's out of, you know, was out of our control. And, um, I don't know. I, I mean, that's kind of my soapbox is like, hey, we can point fingers all day long and we can bitch about it, but but what good does that do to fix it? Um, and I don't think that you're going to – I think that the direction that you're seeing the, our world going 
I, I really don't see it changing right now. Mm-hmm. I really don't see it just magically going back to how it was for my father. Um, I just don't. So, so we have to change. Otherwise, otherwise it's going to end up, you know, my fear is, is it's going to end up um, going the wrong direction where it continues to be just policy certification, education driven. And although I know plenty of great firefighters out there that were highly educated, um, I would say, and I can't quantify this because I haven't done the research, but I would say pretty confidently, statistically wise, um, if you'd hired 10 people that had education and no blue collar hard work experience, um, that you would probably see a, a, a higher, and I'm trying to say this the right way, but um, you would probably see more fail, you know, a, a higher amount of failure in the success of that individual if it was just based on certs and education. And, uh, and that's why I wrote the article. That's why I try to say how important the blue collar part of our job is and shame on those organizations out there. If you're listening that don't value that. And, uh, and if you don't value it in the entry level part of your job, okay, I get it. Then you damn well better be doing something when they get on the floor to uh, to push the importance of that and get them the education. I shouldn't say education, the experience that they need to uh, to do this job because it is the backbone is uh, is is work ethic. That's that's the backbone of the job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just hit so many things that uh, I want to touch on. You know, I I grew up like I was telling you. You know, I worked I worked in the oil field a little while and stuff. I have a lot of a lot of family ties to the oil field and just everything about the oil field is hard work. Uh, yep. And <laughs> you know, I used to get told whenever I was roughnecking that until you make driller, they're paying you from the shoulders down. And yep. then whenever you make driller, then they're paying you uh, for the shoulders up because that's when you start needing to have a brain. And I kind of brought that yep. mindset with me to the fire service in the sense that you're the workhorse when you're that firefighter you're that eo you're a workhorse now when you start sitting in that seat and the decisions are on you and everything and i completely agree with you that it it is a mixture i i didn't go and start getting any formal education um until i started you know getting ready to promote and those sort of things and went to college for fire administration and all that stuff and and honestly (laughs) that's it's been kind of a double-edged sword uh for me because i gained so much knowledge in the administrative side and legal aspects of the fire service and, and emergency services and all those different things that sometimes now it kind of gets me in a bind. Cause I'm like, Hey, uh, that's actually not legal. What y'all are doing. You need to, uh, <laughs> you need yeah. to check yourself because, uh, time and time again, throughout my career, personally, I mean, I've seen people that promoted, they had a degree in whatever, uh, that was not fire service related at all. Uh, and it yeah. allowed them to, you know, go up through the ranks and allowed them to get in some of these, these chiefs positions. And for me, I think the education is highly important, but I really think it's more important that that educated be in a, in a center focused program around fire and emergency services. If you're going to be in that role, a degree in English is not going to make you anything in the fire service. It, that's just yeah. my opinion. It doesn't, Yeah. it's not, you know, the, the topics and stuff that you cover, yes, it shows that you, you know, can make it through school. Yes, it shows that you're able to write papers and, you know, complete assignments. 
But if there's not any specialized education, because there's so much, mm-hmm. like, I mean, I've been a ride-up battalion chief for a few years previously in my career. Now I'm back to the firefighter role because I decided to move departments to a better place and start over and all that good yeah, stuff. Yeah, good for you. Good but for you. Uh, <laughs> I've been in that spot where you're in those chiefs roles and, and the level of actual education and knowledge that you need to have at that point is is completely different than being that guy out there on the floor making, you know, making the calls and making the push down the hallway. And, yep. you know, tenfold to that is you can, I, I love what you said about that. You could hire guys that have a master's degree and whatever. And there's probably going to be, if you hire just strictly off of that, that they have a great formal education resume and you, they don't have the background in, in the blue collar and you try to put them in a firefighter role the majority of them probably not going to make it. And I think, I really think that's the truth. And it raises a question to me because we're seeing it nationwide, uh, a culture, uh, and you know, I, I see it. I I recently did an episode where I kind of hit really hard on this. Um, when I came in the fire department, it was still very much so heavily about being an aggressive fireman. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm seeing a huge push in in the country with a lot of these training circuits and a lot of these chiefs and stuff that are traveling and everything, and they're trying to really hammer that back home and try to, yep. uh, you know, it's kind of gotten wrapped up in the safety culture. I, I believe in being safe, but at the same time, I think that sometimes people go a little overboard and they jump quick to going defensive or they jump quick to not making that push or not going in there and getting you know, where the hard work really kicks in. And it makes me yeah. wonder, it, 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 especially this conversation, it's raised to question, do you think that this, I, I would say that stuff probably really started 10 to 12 years ago that they, they started hammering home on that safety culture. Mm-hmm. And then we went through a little slump where it was like, you know, the, all those little sayings and stuff, risk a lot, save a lot, and all that. So it was like, a, mm-hmm. to me, it sounded like a lot of excuses to not go interior is, is honestly what it sounded like to me at a lot of agencies. And it makes mm-hmm. me wonder, do you think that that push came from people that don't have that blue-collar hard work? Because, I mean, let's be honest, you know, growing up like we did, uh, you know, myself and you, when you're raised up around horses and cows and working that, there's inherent risks to people that grow up working hard. We just accept risk. You know, when you're running heavy equipment, you can roll, you know, flip a dozer over pretty easily. That's just a, an accepted yeah. risk of the job. When you're riding horses or breaking horses or roping cows, working cows, it's just an accepted risk that at any moment you can get your, you know, you you dally off wrong, there goes your thumb type thing. Uh, yep. <laughs> that's It's accepted risk yeah. for people that are that. I'm wondering now, having this conversation, if – that major push is is kind of running parallel with this education certification push because it's coming from people that don't have that blue collar, so they're unable to accept that inherent risk of being a firefighter. You think there's anything to that, or maybe I'm just reading too much? Yeah. No, I mean, um, I, I can't say with 100% certainty, but I think uh, I believe that that your hypothesis is has something to it. Um, I think there's some accuracy to your statement. I, I wonder, you know, a lot of times when we talk about this risk a lot to save a lot, we talk about, um, the risks that we take on the fire ground. Uh, you get an officer or someone that's in charge of operations of your organization 
and they haven't spent a lot of time uh, doing the blue collar part of the job. And they haven't spent a lot of time, um, you know, crawling the hallways or, or doing that kind of stuff. Um, it's easy to write <clears throat> policies and procedures that um, reduce your exposure and your risk. And it is easier to say we're not going to go in than it is to say we're going to go in. Um, it's easier to say, hey, you know, I, it, it's it's all in your mindset. Like um, when someone unfortunately gets hurt or, or killed on the job, you know, the first thing we do as Monday morning quarterbacks is uh, <laughs> we read the headline, we read the first couple sentences, and we come to we come to an uh, our own opinions. And many times we don't have all the facts. Many times, I would say almost all the time, um, we don't know the whole story. And so when you read that stuff, you go, oh, firefighter hurt or injured or killed in this abandoned building or this abandoned residential structure. Hmm. Um, so it's very easy for us to to knee-jerk reaction, write a policy that says, hey, you know, we're not going to go into abandoned structures. What you don't know is uh, they didn't know it was abandoned. You know, like they didn't know anybody was in that nobody was in there. Sure. Now, after the fact, after it's all done, you know, unfortunately, we're <clears throat> we have to uh, we have to come to the realization that maybe someone does get injured or hurt or killed uh, in a fire where uh, there wasn't anybody inside. And it's very easy to say, was that person's injury or life worth, um, you know, that house that they tore down anyways and rebuilt it? So I, I think it's. I think it's more about getting to the core of what it, what are we there for? You know, what is our, what is our job for? Um, and, and I do think that, uh, that you're on, I think you're onto something. I do think it does correlate to the changes that the fire service has, uh, has implemented. Um, and I do think it's a, it's an example of, uh, many organizations and I'll speak for mine. I'll speak for many, Many organizations went through a vast or a, a, an immense amount of um, retirements in the last 10 to 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, a significant amount of the blue collar workers in our job, those people that got hired because they, um, you know, they have rough hands and know, uh, <clears throat> know how to work, uh, are, are leaving the fire service. And um, those that have the uh, lotions, ha- lotioned hands, and <laughs> and have never picked up a hammer, um, and never, <clears throat> never really worked, um, are, are are quickly and rapidly uh, moving up the chain, and that's based off of a couple reasons. One is because uh, the fire service is valuing education more than the blue collar part. The whole point of the article, and the other reason is just out of necessity because there's so many vacancies that, you know what, um, I was a captain at 26 years old, a BC at 30, way too young. Um, but the organization that I was in, um, <laughs> the, uh, there wasn't anybody else. And I was qualified. And I and I stepped into that role thinking that I was ready. And boy, I was wrong. But, um, <laughs> but that being said, um, yeah, there's a, I'm sure there's a lot of reasons for it. Uh, I, I just, I, I want to stress that, um, I want to stress that the education piece, so, so there is one part that I'll push back a little bit on, and that is our jobs also changed a lot 
in the last, you know, rewind 30, 40, 50 years ago. We're asking our engine companies to be, um, like when I started in the fire service and it wasn't that long ago, it, it was common to, to have the mentality that shut the apparatus bay doors, stay in the station. We don't leave unless we're going to the store for food or we're going to a call. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of the, the it, it was kind of a culture. Um, and it was how it was. Uh, today, we're asking our engine companies, our truck companies, our ambulances to be much more transparent to uh, to our constituents. Um, we're 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 going to birthday parties. We're we're going to events. We're um, you know that community outreach part of our job is significantly more than it used to be. So, so there is some value, you know, to be educated, to be able to communicate with the public, to be able to articulate yourself um, in a professional way. You know, so, so education does help with that stuff. Um, so I don't want to poo-poo it and be like, hey, it's not important at all for a firefighter. It, it, it still is. Um, it's just, I'll give you an example. If I had to hire two people, they were essentially, you know, the same two people. And I knew that one of them uh, had a background of um, construction or I knew one of them grew up on a ranch and, and had run a dozer or a backhoe or something like that. Um, hey, my internal, you know, HR is not going to like to hear this, but my my internal feeling is I'd much rather hire that person than somebody that grew up in it without that. That being said, that being said, um, that being said, um, that's not how I hire. You know, obviously, I can't, and I wouldn't. That 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 wouldn't be good of me to just um, not, you know, offer a job to somebody that didn't have that. But if I did hire the person that didn't have that, then it's on me and the organization to train them and expose them to uh, as much as I can to to the blue collar, the work side of the job, and that's. That's what I tried to write. It's like, um, I think it's important, obviously, the blue collar part. I think we're getting away from it, which is hurting us, as already stated. Uh, but but it's not going away. It's not going to change. So how do us as, as leaders in the fire service in the next 10, 20 years, how do, we, how do we make this problem better? We make it better by changing our thought process of our academies ensuring that these new recruits are getting exposure to to that blue collar side of the job and 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 we shouldn't um just blame them like you said and just point a finger and bitch about it because that ain't going to make anything any better so um yeah you know it's such a it's such a difficult conversation um because because you and i know uh, how important the blue collar side of the job you and I know how important it is like how blessed we are when you're an engine company officer and you show up on a fire and you got that kid in the back seat that is just um, just has those ends those worker instincts and knows you know to get after it but not only that when the fire is out and you still got you know 15 minutes of fame and then three hours of work um, <laughs> yeah you know, they're, they're still ready to roll and still ready to get dirty and wet and, uh, you know, pulling ceiling and in the attic and doing all the things that we do, uh, post fire, fire attack. Um, those, those kind of people 
uh, are a blessing, um, but but we can't just expect to, that every new recruit is going to be that way, and we have to adjust. For sure. <clears throat> yeah, you were trying to get me fired up talking about the uh, the empty warehouse thing because that's, you know, working in the Houston area, that's the first thing that people comes out of their mouth about Houston Fire Department is they kill a lot of firemen, this, that, and the other, whatever. And, you know, I'll defend them all day long. Yes, Houston has lost a lot of firemen in the line of duty, but the reality is on that that the mindset of most of those men and women that I've been around and that I know and that I've worked with through my career, fires don't start themselves. And we have a very, very large homeless population in the Houston area. Mm -hmm. And so the yeah. mindset is, you know, yeah, it may, we may find out that it's vacant, but it's not vacant until we find out that. And yep. if that, you know, if that causes somebody to get hurt, you know, the Southwest end fire where they lost uh, four that day and then, and Captain Dowling ended up dying a few years later, you know, that was, picked apart in every single different direction. And what people don't know is it was a hotel. Uh, and yeah, right. we ended up finding out that the part of the hotel that they were in had been renovated and changed. And there was false walls and false ceilings and all this different stuff. But you're not going to know that when you're going in there and all you see you're pulling up is it's a hotel, you know? Right. So uh, in our mind, that's a, you know, that's a high occupancy living space. And, yeah. uh, you know, that, that was a rough day and stuff. I was on the ambulance, uh, for a different, I didn't work for Houston, but I was going by there and I mean, the column was massive and everything. I mean, I remember it. Um, and just everything that came out from that and all the Monday morning quarterbacks and the lawsuits and all that stuff. And everybody kind of missed the whole, the whole aspect that fires don't really normally start themselves. There's usually something that has to do with it. Uh, and when you have all these buildings and, and old, you know, crack shacks and shotgun shacks and everything like that, people still live in those spaces. People squat in those spaces. Yeah, there may not be any power to the house, but they're still living in there. Um, yeah, that's just that's kind of a dynamic of where we work uh, and, and the, you know, the demographics and stuff there. So uh, that's something that we have to address. And it's just part of the job. That's yeah. one of those just accepted risks. And, you know. Going along with that, you were talking about how uh, the mindset has changed, and, and I think that's funny because I, I work at two different places. I'm part-time at one department, and I'm full-time in the Houston area. And mm -hmm. where I work full-time, we still do keep the, the bay door shut and all that stuff. Now, we go do your PRs at your school events and all that, but, hell, you got to keep the bay door shut because uh, people come in there and steal stuff. Uh, oh, so right, right. it yeah. is kind of locked down, but then on the opposite end of that, my other department, it's in a, it's in a, a nicer community and very heavily involved with the public. And so you, the bay doors are always open. People are coming by all the time, dropping stuff off. Like that place is the world's worst when it comes to, uh, if you're trying to diet, because I swear every day, some community member is bringing by cookies or brownies or this cake or that cake or pizzas. I mean, any given day, there's people dropping by all the time. Uh, and, and it's so funny right. to see the different dynamics of that. But you're absolutely right that you have to be able to communicate. And, you you know, you I see that a lot in a, in a lot of these younger folks. This isn't necessarily go along with the blue-collar side of things, but just um, – including my own kids. I got to stay on them. Like one thing I'm forcing them to do is, is make them order their own food at restaurants. These younger yep. generations, they don't even speak like we do. You know, my parents yep. kind of threw me to the wolves on that at a young age. They're like, you know, you're going to, you're a man, you're going to stand up. You're going to shake someone's hand when they come in the room. You're going to speak to them. You don't, you don't tuck your chin. 
you speak loud and poke your chest out and let people know that you're here. And you don't see that from a lot of these younger Mm -hmm. folks. And it's, that's something that we even have to create. You know, that, uh, I've been talking to a guy here that I, I know through a friend that lives locally with me, that's trying to get into the fire service, super young guy. And he was asking, you know, tips and tricks on his interview. And that was the main thing. Cause he's, he's good at speaking to people he knows, you know, in, in the comfort of that, but walking in a room with a panel of firemen and EOs and captains and battalion chiefs and all that going into an interview setting, you got to have that. And that's what I told him. I said, man, just be, be confident in who you are. Speak a hundred percent truth. Even if these guys ask you some hard questions, tell the truth. Like if you did yep. some, some crappy stuff in high school, whatever, we all did it. Like nobody really cares. Truthfully, nobody cares. Just we want to know the truth, but shake everybody's hand, be proud to be there, speak clearly, speak loudly. And, um, you know, that's what we need from guys going, or that's what you need for, to look for guys going in interviews. He's like, oh, okay, cool. And even simple things like that, it's like, man, but, um, that's something else we kind of have to train. It, it's, it's kind of crazy of the, of the, there's a real generational gap of even simple things like that, like the speaking. And yep. I guess it makes me, it makes me curious. I, I love picking people's brains, um, that are chiefs primarily, because I'll be honest, there's a lot of things on here that I, I do beat chiefs up about. Now I say yep. that rightfully so. Uh, well, I say that in the fact that, you know, two or three of my very closest friends on this planet are are chiefs, and I think they're doing a great job at, at their role. Um, but, you know, I've got my horror stories just like everybody else in the fire service of the not-so-great chiefs that I've worked for. And so, yep. you know, they catch a lot of flack, but um, that's just kind of part of it because I want to – I like to teach people what not to do as well, uh, especially with a, a career like mine. Um and it makes me curious when you're going and you know kind of rubbing elbows with all of these chiefs across the nation, especially in that in that uh, National Fire Academy. What is the mindset of all these guys going through that to change? I mean, obviously everybody talks about it. Everybody has the the problem diagnosed, but yeah. what do they say as far as yes, we've we've pushed a heavy agenda on education and certifications to the point where you know, like um, I had Dave Robertson on here, and that's one of the big things mm-hmm. that he tries doing coaching with young guys because guys coming straight out of the academy, they think they need to go get teetotally certed up. And he's like, whoa, whoa, yeah. whoa, you know, certs don't make the man type thing. Certs don't make the firefighter. Like, let's address you. Like, most agencies at this point in time are looking to hire the person, and then we'll get them certed yep. up. Uh, yep. Is that kind of the dynamic for a lot of these chiefs, or are they kind of – you know, doubling down and just wanting formal education. What's what is kind of the the general idea of how to fix things? Since we know what the problem yeah. is, but yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, I I think what we're dealing with is uh, the pendulum was way far to the left, and now it's way to the right. You know, and it's trying to figure out how we get that back to back to center with a completely different dynamic of, of kids coming into the fire service and people coming into the fire service. And we all, I think for the most part, everybody that I've talked to, uh, agrees with what I have to say. Like I've never had anybody challenge my opinions in the sense of, you know, certain things they pick apart, but, but as far as my overall opinion about these articles, and if you were, uh, get on and go, you know, look at, go to my website and look at articles. There's one called higher, you know, hire for what's hire and promote for what's above the shoulders, which gets more into that 
which gets more into that topic about, you know, what's below the shoulders and what's above the shoulders and the importance of both and, um, and everything you just said about talking to people. And I think the general consensus is, is like, how do we fix this problem? And it's, it's, it, you know, it's a, I think it's a bigger problem than just a simple answer. But, um, <clears throat> what I challenge those leaders in their communities to, to do is, is we really have to, um, and I'll speak about what I'm doing, but, um, we really have to get back into our high schools and our and our junior colleges and our fire academies and really think uh, rethink um, what we're teaching. You know, when I went through the the fire academy or I went through high school, there was auto shop, there was wood shop, um, there was some of these things that uh, that aren't there today. If you went back to the same high school, those are closed down. So so <clears throat> where I think we we start to change this is that we get a hold of our of our educational leaders in our communities, um, those superintendents, those those principals, and we talk about um, creating and recreating and bringing back some of these uh, classes that are focused on uh, the blue collar side of the job. And um, I think most chiefs that I talk to uh, are are agreeing with you and I and agree that uh, we have a problem. And agreeing that um, in order to fix the problem, that we need to be active uh, with our younger kids. So, for instance, my organization, uh, when I took over in the position I'm in, uh, did a really, I think, did a good job at outreach at our junior college level. Um, we have a junior college in the community I work. Um, but what I, what I realized is um, we had nothing in high school, uh, no connection at all to our high schoolers. Hmm. And uh, I created a high school uh, career camp th uh, that, that we do now, um, working with the superintendent to talk about um, bringing back those ROPs type stuff, those things that even if it's just fire service related and, uh, and I'm sending, you know, overtime people over there to, to talk to the class and, and, and maybe, you know, swing a hammer for a few hours, we got we to gotta start somewhere. And we're going to have to be the advocates and we're going to have to push for this because unfortunately the culture of our country has been uh, education and computers. Mm -hmm. And, and I think it, and I think it's a direct reflection of that is uh, our recruitment challenges. I mean, everybody I talk to across the country um, is, 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 is having challenges in hiring people and the law enforcement side of public safety is even worse off. Um, but you know they're 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 understaffed. They're mandoing the crap out of people. Um, you know they need to hire fifty people, and they only get ten applicants. Those kind of horror stories. Mm -hmm. Well, <clears throat> well, we're not advocating the fire service at a young age. We're not. Um, we're not doing enough of that to show these kids at a young age that this is a great, uh, a, a rewarding career. And on the other side of things, um, you know, I talk to I talk to kids all the time. And they're like, yeah, if I go be a computer, whatever, whatever, um, I can make 300000 500000 a year um, in the tech industry. And, um, you know, I'm only going to make 80000 as a, a boot firefighter or whatever, you know, across the country. The <laughs> well, 80000 be good. <laughs> yeah. You know, well, I'm speaking, you know, California, California wages obviously are, sure. are higher than some other areas of the country, but also, you know, medium I mean, uh, the medium home here is probably seven, eight hundred thousand. So it's 
so it's all relevant. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm just teasing. Yeah. But, that's... <laughs> yeah. No, my point is, is, uh, we have to, you know, we have to be advocates. I believe we have to get back into the high schools at a younger age. We have to push those programs. We have to push for, um, advocacy, uh, for the fire service and not just assume that it's going to change. Cause if we sit back on our thumbs and we just wait for the change, I think it's just going to get worse. Um, mm-hmm. and I commend, you know, I commend those chiefs across the country that have the, the strength to stand up and say, um, get your ass in there. Um, because, because that's hard. Like that's, it's much harder to, to advocate and push for aggressive interior fire attack mm-hmm. on a potentially abandoned building, potentially is the key word, um, than it is to say, risk a lot to save a lot, we're not going in there. Um, sure. yeah. And that, and, and we have to, like, I think there's a balance in that. Get, don't get me wrong. I think um, there's times where where I have I've written articles about it. You know, uh, you can you can you can read um, some of my worst days. Um, I put them on paper, and I've you know almost killed seven people on a commercial structure fire. Why why did that happen? Um, and why do I relive that that decision every day of my life? I think about it a lot, and it happened you know 20 years ago. Um, it was uh, a lack of experience. Mm-hmm. It was a culture of aggressiveness. And I didn't recognize the indicators to tell me that the decision I was making was not a good decision. If I had that same fire today, I'm confident. Now, that's not to say that I'm not going to make poor decisions. I do. You know, I'm on a, a Cal, I'm on, I am a federal. I was now I'm on a state IMT in Cal fire. I've traveled the Western United States to some of the most destructive wildfires that, that in the history of, of the country. Um, I've been in charge of divisions and branches where communities have burned down and many people have died and been hurt. Um, and I've made some poor decisions, but, but my education, my experience, um, today, if I circle back to that that event that I wrote that article about, uh, I'm pretty confident I would have I would have at least recognized the uh, the indicators. And why do I say all that? Um, because when you're promoting people just because of a cert or because of an education, and you're not valuing the work ethic, the experience that that person brings, um, that's what happens. <laughs> oh, for sure. And that's man, not to sure. say. Let me let me let me pre- let me let me be very uh, real with you. Uh, some people that that unfortunately get hurt and die are some of the most experienced firefighters in the country. That happens. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it is an inherent risk in our job, and no matter how much experience and education you have, uh, you can have a bad day. Um, but statistically, the less experience you have, um, and the the less of that blue collar you have under your belt. I'm firmly believed that um, you increase your chances of, of making poor decisions. Um, and, and yes, the fire service, um, one, you know, the hiring above the shoulder article, it talks a lot about, yeah, how much do we fight fire, right? So, so it's important to also recognize that, that fighting fire is a small percentage of our job and our, our community outreach and our ability to talk to our citizens and treat people with respect 
and uh, understand that that we're public servants and that although our own morals and ethics sometimes don't align with the organization, the organization's moral morals and ethics are important and we need to, you know, value those and, and align with those when we put on the badge. Um, so, so yeah, we don't just fight fire anymore. You know, we do a lot more stuff. So that education is important. But um, what kills us? You know, the pub ed event doesn't kill us. Right. Um, <clears throat> the shaking Mrs. Smith's hand when she brings the candy or the pie over doesn't kill us. Uh, stretching the hallway on going in a basement, that's what kills us. And when an organization puts education and certificates in front of the experience and the blue-collar part of the job, I believe they increase your chance of, of having a bad day. And that's, that's just, that's just where I stand with 25 years of, of working with, uh, seeing and watching, you know, a complete change in the fire service. So, so get out there and, uh, and make a difference and, and try to do what you can to, to better this. And I, I it's grassroots and I think it starts in your education system and your high schools, and uh, and that that is you know that's really all I can offer is um, is what I hear and what people say and really what my mission is. For sure, yeah, I could not agree with you more. I I've had that argument pretty much my entire career. Uh, you know, working in in the Houston area, that that aggressive mindset has always been there. Uh, and I've been fortunate to work at places and work work for some chiefs that they not they life with them might not have been very great in the station. But when it came to operational-wise, they pretty much just let the dogs off the leash and let us do our thing. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I, I've been blessed in the sense that I've been allowed to be that aggressive firefighter the majority of my career. And I've had that exact argument time and time again. I, you know, I was in the time period when helmet cams and all that stuff was still very much encouraged and allowed. And so, you know, we got to have basically evidence of some of the stuff that we did and people be like, yeah. I cannot believe you went into that. And I'm like, honestly, man, it wasn't that bad, you know, getting in there, yeah. getting to it, but it all goes down to exactly what you said. Uh, you know, I promoted early. I, I spent about six years as a pipeman, then drove for two and then uh, promoted to captain at 26. Yeah. I had some time under my belt, but I was still only 26 years old and yeah, you know, starting right at 18, I was able to do that. And the thing is, I've had that. I've, I've literally said that exact same thing. That to me, it you can be insanely aggressive as long as you have uh, the backing and the experience of having that situational awareness. And to me, that's what it's all about. So when you tell that story of your basically your situational awareness as of now versus that guy years ago, it's it's way different. You could still make this and still be insanely aggressive, but you would have probably you would have recognized some signs that said, "Hey, it's time to get out now." Versus yep. then, uh, yep. and so to me, that's where you focus in on instead of you know kind of putting a blanket policy out that says, "Well, we're not going to go interior on this. We're not going to do that because um, you know blah 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 whatever." How about we focus in on getting people really, really, really laser focused on knowing the situation and having that that deep level of training to see what's going and understand what's going on when you're inside that fire whether it's through the yeah. experience or through the training or or whatever that will be more credible to you in the end than than just putting a blanket statement out saying no that's too risky to go in uh, so we're not going to do it and 
Yep. I love that you said that because that, that goes with your maturity. It goes with your just flat out exposure to stuff. You're able to say like, I have way more situational awareness now. Like I, I know now what that smoke coming around that wall means. And back then I necessarily didn't. Um, yeah. And so it's, it's little things like that. That's really cool to me that people recognize. And so we don't have to put out this, um, you know, blanket deal saying aggressive, aggressive firemen are bad. Uh, or they get people killed yep. or anything like that. And, you know, going back on to the, to the blue collar deal, something that I'm doing. And, and I recently, I recently did an episode talking about all the mandatory staffing and all that. That's, that's kind of some things that I've beat up a little bit because I've worked at departments that, um, I'll be quite frank and honest. Like I had to go through an insane custody battle with a child because I wasn't able to get the time at home uh, to spend time with my kid because of the mandatory overtime at the fire department. Basically, like we were getting mandatory every single day because of staffing crisis, and it cost me on the back end with home life that I'm, you know, still suffering from. And I think that's a story yep. for a lot of people. Um, yep. And you know, going with that, I did a I did a recent poll on my on my page, basically asking guys that follow the page and stuff how many of them are working second and second third. Uh, you know, part-time fire jobs, fire and EMS jobs. And it was, it was almost, it was like 80, I want to say either 87 or 89% of the, it was, you know, a thousand or so responses I got. And uh, they were all saying yes, that they're all working multiple jobs. And to me, I, I kind of view that as a problem. I think that guys should really stop that <laughs> personally. That's just my thought. I, I've done it. I worked two full-time jobs, majority of my career. But I look at what it did to me, you know, towards the, uh, you know, the psychological effects of that, the long-term fatigue effects of that and everything in between. And now I'm really trying to get guys to, because we have that blue collar background and so many of us, I mean, the guys that I know, I, I, my, some of my closest friends, they have roofing companies, they have welding companies, lawn mowing companies, all those kind of things that are so needed, even not just in the fire service, but as a society, as a whole, we're missing. I mean, we, we laugh about Mike Rowe. He's made an entire career talking about this, about how the dirty jobs, yep. nobody's sign, lining up to do them, so they're paying insane. And that's something, you know, I, I think maybe if fire departments and fire administrations start, I, I don't know if it's, I wouldn't say necessarily maybe providing the education for that because that would be coming out of the taxpayers and that probably wouldn't fly. But m more so encouraging guys to go and do a second gig in that type of career path, whatever it be, mowing yards or whatever, as opposed to mm. going and working two other EMS jobs where you're running 20 calls a day. And then by the time you get back to your full-time job, you're so worn out, you can't see straight. And you still got this whole other shift to go. And then it starts all over again. You know, I lived yeah. that life for years and, and I don't personally, I don't think it's healthy. And I think if guys understood that that blue collar, background is so needed nationwide that they can make a killing <laughs> going in yeah. and diving into that, whether it's construction or roofing or what, I mean, any of that stuff, it's so needed for our business, but it, it's also, it could be something that's really beneficial in their personal life. I mean, what, what's your thoughts on yeah. that? Yeah, it's an interesting, it's an interesting um, perspective. I, you know, I think across the country, if we ran your poll, you know, the numbers would change. Um, and what's kind of interesting to me is, um, what's interesting is 
if you have a fire department, and I'm looking at myself as a city administrator or city council or uh, city manager or whatever, mayor, if you got a fire department that is so underpaid or so low of wages that that percentage of your employees are having to um, get these second, third jobs to survive, um, <laughs> uh, that's, that might be a root of the problem. Um, you think so? That, I mean, to me well, personally, that's kind of, that's one thing I hit. So like, I'll tell you, cause I mean, obviously you're a chief, so you understand numbers. I'll throw a little numbers at you just for the Texas yeah. area. When I started yeah. in my career, I was making about 35,000. I was making nine, yeah. nine or $10 an hour. Um, yeah. 15 years later, I'm making $22 an hour. Now this is as a firefighter. I make, of course I made more during my time period as an officer, obviously, but sure. just say, you know, my primary full-time job right now, I bring home now about 63 to 65. Well, mm-hmm. in that time period, the home that I bought 15 years ago, you know, uh, it was a, a double wide trailer house, whatever people can take what they want about it, but it's just the truth. That house cost me about 70,000 then. And now that same home, a double wide trailer, that same house is every bit of $250,000. Uh, yeah. The house that I currently live in, um, it's paid for, and that's why we, we live in it. It's at the farm and stuff. It's the farmhouse uh, that's been here for about 10 years, and it's paid for. So we're doing this while we're saving to build our you know forever home, whatever. But this house was 10 years ago was 30000 and now it's eighty. But pay has not been that big of a jump. And I think that's the biggest thing because yeah. most of these guys that I work with, I mean, Houston, the cost of living in Houston is way, way higher than where I live. Of course, I live in rural East Texas out in the sticks, and so things are cheaper, obviously. But say these guys in Houston, they're making, on average, if they're a firefighter, or even if they're an officer, I would say the average pay for most officers around the Houston area are probably base rate around 85 Firefighters mm. are 55 to 60, but a mm. normal three bedroom brick house in one of these neighbor, you know, suburb type neighbor homes, just, just typical, uh, home that these guys are living in, they're 400 and plus. Yeah. So there's really no feasible way, you know, for, for guys to, unless they just happen to marry, you know, marry into some wealth or, or whatever, maybe they, you know, had a career prior to, you know, if they're financial means, but if they're just strictly a firefighter and that's it. There's no possible way. And I really do think that that's an issue is yeah. just bottom line. Yeah. I mean, guys are not paid enough to keep up with the times, So they are working. Um, and then of course I have seen several departments in, in very recent times, I'd say probably in the last 18 months, uh, you talk about the staffing stuff and this is kind of funny to me because I just talked about it on a show, but, uh, I'm seeing yeah. a lot of younger chiefs that are probably my age, your age type chiefs that they're seeing this whole um, nationwide, you know, staffing shortage and that it's not getting any better really for the, for the immediate time. So they have this demand. There's some of these places, you know, like you're talking about, they got to hire 30 or 50 guys yesterday. So now they've gone to their cities and they've adopted, uh, you know, gone in and done what they need to do for their civil service or all that junk. And now they're accepting lateral transfers and they're honoring guys time up to, you know, whatever they have in, as long as, you know, they're coming from a, a validated uh, department, they're honoring their time and they're bringing them in at that rate at their new department. Yeah. So they're basically scalping yep. guys, you know, it's and, and I'm seeing yep. dudes jumping from, they've been at this department for 10 years 
and they might yep. be a captain, but they can go over here as a firefighter and they're making $20,000 a year more. And so now you're yep. starting to see that of chiefs are like, Hey, we're going to throw money at this and honor these people's time. Uh, but the bottom line is the overwhelming majority. I'm telling you, like I, I literally, I did it majority of my career and everyone I know has done the same that um, everybody's working second full-time jobs. You know, if they're on a, Yep. 4896 or whatever, they work 48 here and then they go to another job and they work 48 and then that gives them 48 off and then they're right back at it. And some dudes on that last 48 that should be their time at home, that's when they're working their third job. Um yep. and either way it puts them working 100 hours a week and it just it's a never-ending hamster wheel and it, you know for crazy numbers even doing that as a full-time firefighter, you're still working two full-time jobs, you're still bringing home less than a hundred thousand and your home is costing you over 400. You know what I mean? So it's like, it just, even though you're working and sacrificing, you're still barely making it. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. And I think, um, yeah. So this problem that we're talking about, obviously we can't, you know, we can't fix that necessarily with a, with just a simple answer. But I, I feel like, um, and maybe this is wrong. This is a perspective. I feel like the fire service, uh, a firefighter um, for many, many years, for many, many years, uh, I'd go take tests or I'd go stand in line. There'd be 5,000 people um, taking an Oakland fire test for firefighter EMT. And, you know, you stand in line. Some people get there the day before and friggin' sleep in a sleeping bag. And now you go to that same test and uh, there is no line. You know, there might be 50 people there. Um, and, so what's happened is the the supply uh, isn't isn't keeping up with the demand. Mm -hmm. So shame on these cities. And and I think it just comes down to uh, forever. You know these cities got away with uh, paying their fire department people um, not very well. And why was that? Because there were so many people that wanted to do the job that it was like, oh, we could get away with paying them pennies. And they're going to line up out the door. So you, why you really think that's what it was? I, I mean, I, I I think that that's part of it. Yeah, is that if you if you have if you own a business and your bottom line is based off money and not service, and you really don't truly value your people, um, and what I mean by that is like actions, right? Actions mean more than words. Plenty of chiefs and political people can get up in front of somebody and tell you that. You know the, the the you 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 all are are my biggest concern. You know you're my biggest focus. I care about my people, and I <clears throat> I challenge you. You've probably heard a lot of chiefs, a lot of people say stuff like that. Like, um, <laughs> but do they really show it? Do they really act it? Does their actions speak louder than their words? And I uh, and I do think that you know we've fought very hard. The unions fight very hard for compensation for their people, but if the city doesn't value um as firefighters you know they 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 tend to oh we don't have the budget to do that or we don't have the money to do that it's like it's like well then guess what you're gonna have a staffing problem you're gonna burn people out um you're gonna be forcing people to work multiple days i mean uh, shame on organizations that have those situations whether people are getting mandated every four day or whatever, constantly getting forced, um, it's creating a huge mental mental health issue. It creates a physical health issue. 
It creates divorces. It creates dads that that spent that miss most of their kids' uh, life, you know. And uh, mm-hmm. and so some people are forced to do two or three jobs because their organization or their city doesn't value their employees to pay them enough for them not to do it, you know. And mm-hmm. and that's just that's just sad. Um, I think the whole lateral transfer thing uh, is very prevalent across the country it's not just in your area it's in california and essentially essentially uh i hate it you know i hate it because all it is is i sit there and steal some firefighter from the neighboring department that doesn't pay as much Mm -hmm. and they steal then the other department that's south of us you know in more of the bay area steals somebody from us because they pay more than us we're just shuffling people around but we're not fixing the problem for sure Um, yeah and, and ultimately, uh, what can we control? You know, what we can control is the culture in our own organization. We can control how we treat people. We can control that. Uh, there's a lot of really bad chiefs out there. Let's be real. There's a lot of really bad le- people out there that consider themselves leaders, but they're, they're not. And, and, uh, and thankfully, there's a few. Um, thankfully, there's... There's some a few out there. Some of them are outspoken, like my, like myself, as far as <laughs> writing and and yeah. podcasts. And there's plenty of really good chiefs out there that don't do that. Um, but thank God that there are people that are fighting to change some of this stuff and fighting to turn that that hierarchy of you know I'm chief, I'm special, I'm God. Um, that's all bullshit. And I always tell people like we work, we work together as one team, we wear the same goddamn patch, the same goddamn badge. Um, ultimately mine's gold and yours isn't, but that, but my focus and my mission is to make you want to wake, you know, wake up in the morning and want to go to work and wake up in the morning and not think about how badly you want to transfer to somewhere else. Cause you hate the department you work for. Those are things that we can change. Those are things that we do have uh, a day-to-day effect on as a company officer as just a fellow firefighter as a brother or sister and that's that's where we got to focus but yes um i i do think that uh circling back a little bit here i do think that when you have these cultures or these processes that just focus on certain education and don't value your experience and your time on the job or your or your experience in the blue collar side of things and you promote these people into these chief officer roles and they get to decision-making positions, uh, typically speaking, not always, typically speaking, um, they lose sight of what's most important. And that is the people and everything is driven from the people in your organization. Everything is driven from culture, how you provide a service to Mrs. Smith, how you fight that structure fire. It all ties back in to what's behind that goddamn badge. And I'm so sick of the fire service worrying about badges and rank. It doesn't fucking matter. It, what matters is, is that heart, that drive, um, them, how much you care that what's behind that badge and what's in your heart and what's in your, your, you know, morals and the ethics and the way you were raised and how you think of this job, um, is what makes us, it what makes our service, 
it what it's what has gained an enormous amount of trust across the nation um you know and hope i i get concerned you know that uh that if we lose that um we're going to lose that trust and the trust is where everything is built um you know that person just checking yes on that tax that you know you're putting out there to to be able to increase the money for your department or your city so that you can pay your firefighters money um they check yes or no based off that experience of you and that you know might be you at the 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 grocery store um and how you treated them or how you talked to them um you know it all comes back to our culture it all comes back to the people and if we put leaders in positions where they focus on the people they focus on the culture of the organization um i believe those are better organizations i believe those are places that people stay longer and uh and unfortunately you know i can't speak for all chiefs out there but but i do think that my education and my experience combined um you know helped me be who i am today and if it was one side or the other um i can't i can't say that i would be as successful as i am and uh that's why i wrote the article you know that's why i, I pushed this kind of stuff because um because it's important and it's important for us to get back to those values and uh and it's important for us to take care of our firefighters and the answer isn't the answer isn't to just keep forcing them on duty and uh you know ruin their lives so that <laughs> so that we can provide a service you know um that's not the answer it's sad to see i i've talked to firefighters recently that tested for us and i say hey why are you uh why are you testing and they're like you know i'm uh, i'm going to be divorced i haven't been able to spend time with my kids i i have to get out of this place otherwise um you know it's going to ruin my life like can you i, I just uh, it, it it actually get makes me get emotional thinking about it it's like really this job is turned into that 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 were you know causing people to consider suicide that were uh, what you know what the fuck god damn it you know it's like that's 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 not what this job is about that's not what i got into it for and uh and you know shame on me if i'm leading an organization that's doing that man uh <laughs> oh dude you just hit like pretty much one of basically everything that i talk about on this show i mean that was all wrapped up into one deal that's uh that's where my passion is to be honest that's uh that's the horror stories of the things that i've lived through in my career for the most part is most of the organizations i was around and and the chiefs that i was around that's the line that was drawn in the sand and and even to the much so of, of i've been told you know if if you got to leave and go um, because your daughter's in the hospital with a potential of dying and you can't get coverage and that's your job. Uh, I've been through that. I've been that guy. My, my little girl was ate up really bad with infection when she was about four years old to the point where they were uh, going to do emergency, sur uh, emergency surgery in a CDC hospital to remove the infection um, that was encapsulated between her rib cage and her lungs. And had it not been for the the men and women that I worked with on the truck I would have lost my job but those guys stepped up for me and said no we you know we got you cap we'll cover your shifts go take go take care of your baby girl and that shit was not yep. coming from the chief uh I have yep. the, I still to this day I got the emails where I'm like hey chief you know I can't come to work we're taking my daughter to the hospital 
her white blood cell counts through the roof, this, this, and this. And, and his answer was, if you're not at work and you can't find yourself coverage, then that's your job. And that, yep. sadly, that is where a lot of people, I think, are, are struggling. I think there's a lot of firefighters out there uh, that are on the job that that is um, the reality for them. And so, uh, you know, and, and to be honest, you know, if you got guys coming to test for you that are uh, that are coming over there and, and bringing that to you, they're at their breaking point because if they're willing to say it out loud in order to get a job, then they really are at their breaking point. And that yep. I understand your emotion because I'm in this. It gets me now. It gets me fired up uh, to the point of uh, on a little bit of an emotional side. But if you had talked to to Heath five years ago, I was probably on the homicidal side. Uh, to be yeah. per- perfectly honest, because I was so um, affected by that personally. So now I'm just able to kind of more or less talk guys through that and, and try to make people understand that they're not alone and, and it's not just them. I mean, it is countless departments. Um, it's It's been countless departments in my own personal career that I've been through that. So I know that if it's, it's not just me, it's a lot, it's a lot of people out there. Uh, and, and so that's awesome to hear honestly that there's a chief out there that's recognizing that and seeing that and, and has the platform that you do to be able to just flat ass expose that, uh, because it's not the fire service that I came up in, you know, my dad and everything, uh, I was raised going to the firehouse. I was raised going on, on the trips with the, with the guys in the hunting trip. I mean, my very first time going hunting as a child was with a bunch of firemen and the days off with family time, was it? I mean, that was hard. Those guys, they would tell you all the time. They went to the fire station to get rest. <laughs> yeah, it was, yep. it was their days off was spent uh, with the. Fa- I mean, they literally, and and it's it's just so crazy to me that in a short time we flip flop. You know, in twenty years, that's a short time. That's most people's career. We flip flop to a point now where it's like at a lot of these places, it's 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 a ser- it's a, it's a level of servitude, and it is causing a lot of of mental issues it's causing a lot of relationship issues and all that so i'm glad that you touched on that and and that it gives people hope to know that there is younger chiefs out there that are making a difference and fighting and really like are willing to say you know out in public in front of other chiefs and their peers uh hey y'all are screwing up because if people in your your agency are going through this then you're screwing up um and that's you know, because I can sit down here all day long, you know, with my loud mouth in Texas and say what I say. But the reality is, is I was a ride up battalion chief, but I never broke that threshold. So I never held that level, I guess, of clout to say, oh, well, he's got the chief knowledge. You know what I mean? Because there is a little yeah. bit of a difference when you're sitting in those rooms. And sure. so to hear guys like you and Dennis Riley and Dave Robertson and, and you know, just a few guests that I've had on here, my buddy Sean Black, uh, that are chiefs that are out there that are hammering that home. I really do believe that that's going to start steering us in a, in a good direction and correct this back to the point where it was, where you started and I started where the family really did matter. It wasn't just catch words of saying, well, my people are my greatest asset, but at the same time you're paying them dog shit and know that they're having to work multiple jobs. And then you cost them their second job because you start mandatory in them because you can't cover your staffing. So then they lose their second job. And now you just really hit them financially because that happens. I mean, that happens too. So it's, it's great to hear. And, you know, I I really appreciate you coming on this show and, and giving your insight. And I want to thank you really from the bottom of my heart to hear you say that stuff. I mean, I know, 
there's a lot of big subjects of leadership and topics out there that that guys are having to just try to correct. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is we got to kind of correct the soul of the fire service, in my opinion. Yep. Uh, yep. Yep. For those listening, like if you're a chief, you know, the ultimately, um, your people are what matter most. And, uh, and I don't think I, I want to give some benefit of the doubt here. Um, I've had many experiences like you, like yours and your daughter. Um, and I'm sorry to hear that. That's a shitty deal. Can't imagine and I can't imagine that makes me so friggin' irritated to hear that that's what someone told you. Um, and I've heard that, and I've had plenty of examples of chiefs saying stuff like that uh, to me or to people around me. Uh, and I, I truly do believe that they just don't know any better. I truly do believe that that most of them aren't, in, I'm trying to give a benefit of the doubt here, um, that, that most of them aren't intentionally uh, doing what they're doing. But, um, but damn it, um, here's the funny part is you have those experiences. You have an organization that doesn't value its people. You have an organization that doesn't value, uh, those people that are stuck in that abandoned house. Um, you have an organization that's truly just is, uh, numbers driven or, uh, rank driven or whatever. Um, but then, but then they'll stand up and they'll say, man, we can't, we're not getting anybody to apply for our organization. And we're getting, we're not getting that 5,000 people at the front door to knocking it down to come work here. And, oh, people are leaving our department. Uh, They're just leaving for more money, you know. Um, Maybe it's time, I think what the biggest, the biggest thing we need to do is sometimes put a goddamn mirror in front of ourselves and look at us and look at what we're doing, look at our organization internally and say, are we truly valuing our people? And when you truly can look in the mirror and say that, yeah, we're doing, we're do, we're making some progress, and we're we're valuing our people. And when someone comes to me and says their daughter's in the hospital, I say, what the fuck are you still doing here? Um, get 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 out of here, and we'll deal with that shit some other. You know, we'll deal with the engine company staffing. Uh, don't worry about that. Go take care of your kid, and uh, you know what? Take as much time as you need, and we'll figure that out later. Um, I promise you, I promise you, you're going to have an organization that that has, sees a reduction in the people leaving the door. You're going to see an organization where more people are lined up in the front, and uh, and we're going to start making progress at getting back to where we need to be. But it all starts with us. It all starts with your people. And if you don't see it that way, or you're not acting that way, I'm pretty much guarantee you got a department that has a shitty culture. You had a department that has people wanting to leave or looking for lateral opportunities, and uh, you don't have as many people lined up at the front door. And I think it's plain and simple, and that's, you know, someone changed my mind on that, but uh, I think it's going to be pretty difficult to do. No, you're you're spot on. You're absolutely spot on. And I can tell you that that particular agency has about 110% turnover rate, and they have since about 2016. Um, now yeah. the, the curiosity that I have is, is how that individual is still able to have their, uh, chief's position. Uh, but that's a, you know, that's a political yeah. question that <laughs> I, I don't have the ability to get an answer to, but yeah. I'll ask you one more hard question, uh, on yeah. regards to that, mm-hmm. <sighs> even though we kind of went on a little curveball, but, uh, <laughs> I think it's important. Mm-hmm. 
I, I believe completely with what you're saying on, on the chief level. I think that's absolutely correct. I think that guys need to, do need to look in the mirror. Um, but let's just say that that they look in the mirror and they're proud of what what they see. They think that they're accomplishing. They think that they're doing no wrong. What yep. what would be your recommendation to those firefighters that are working in an agency and in a culture like that? What do they do? Because obviously, as a firefighter, yep. they can't. They can't change the behaviors of the chief. They can bitch about it. They can they can get mad. Yep. They can do whatever they can post on on Facebook, all the leadership bullshit that they want to, but they can't make a difference. What do they do? Uh, yeah, this is what a great question, man. Um, man, uh, you know, you say that, and I'm sitting here on the other end, and I'm like, I I I've I've lived I lived and I still live uh, some of those situations. And, um, and I'm, I don't mean when I say I, because people from my organization are probably going to listen to this. That's not saying that I, I don't, you know, my fire chief is, uh, bad or anything. Actually, I have a ton of respect for my fire chief and I love working for him. Um, but that being said, I've been there. Um, what I didn't talk about earlier is after, uh, 15 years in an organization, I lateraled from being a a captain acting battalion chief, I started over as a firefighter driving an ambulance for a different department. Um, and very much so uh, driven, that, that decision was was mostly driven from um, culture, right? Mostly driven from the frustrations I had with uh, the leadership and the culture of the organization. And my values and where I thought the fire service should go, uh, focused on people, focused on the family, focused on actually doing um, you know, we say we have this very strong word in the fire service called brotherhood. And um, most people listening, I'm sure, have heard of that word. Uh, it's probably the, the, the most uh, slogan for the fire service. Um, well, I'm here to tell you that there's a lot of departments out there, a lot of chiefs out there that don't value that. And they say it, but they don't actually do it. Um, so, so when you get to the questions about what do you do, I'm going to just speak about my career and speak about myself and what have I done. Um, I... I didn't want to promote the captain at, at a young age. Um, I didn't necessarily want to be a battalion chief at a young age. I really enjoy going to calls. I really enjoy, uh, you know, the the forty eight ninety six schedule or or whatever schedule I was working at the time. I love the fire service. I got into this job to be a firefighter. I didn't get in this job to be an assistant chief in charge of operations and administrative and hiring and policy and all the other crap I got to deal with. Um, why am I in the position I'm in right now? I'm in that position because I wanted to make change. I wanted to make the organization better than how I found it. I wanted to fix some of those organizational cultures that I believe sucked. Now, have I been able to change all of that? Have I been able to affect every chief or, or change everything to be the way that I think it should be? Absolutely not. Um, there's still, you know, there's still work to be done and there always will be. But I think personally, how you do it is you focus on yourself first. And what I mean by that is ensure that, that you're looking in the mirror, ensure that you aren't doing some of the things that you're bitching at your chief about or your boss about, because I see that a lot. I see that a lot in firefighters and engineers and company officers sitting at the table bitching about something in the department or something about the chief. And I'm like, eh, ooh, careful where you're throwing stones, my friend. Like, um, have your shit tight before you bitch about something else. That's number one. 
Number two, it's <clears throat> control what you can affect. And so what I tell, you know, I tell my company officers, the people in our organization, fellow organizations, people that reach out to me is uh, do this. Whatever you do, make that engine company, that truck company, that fire station that you're responsible for or you're in the best it can be. And God damn it, no matter how fucked up it is, have fun. Because this job goes by so, and I get a little emotional because I'm like, shit, I'm at 25 years. You know, I don't have that many years left and I'm going to be hanging it up and it's going to be a, a really tough day when that happens. But, um, but you focus on what you control. I know that's cliche, but have as much fun as you can with what, with those people around you and those people that you can control. And then, and then if you really want to make change, a lot of times it's going to mean sacrifice. It's going to mean, um, standing up for your beliefs. It's going to mean getting educated and getting those certifications that you need. So you can get yourself into a role where you can start to make change. Um, and I think that's what the core of this is, is the more people in my organization that I have these conversations with and that I talk about the importance of taking care of your people. And when I sit down with a captain and I say, hey, you never, you know, I, hear, I heard the other day that you, that the, this firefighter X um, had some kind of uh, family emergency and you told them, you know, you can't go because we don't have coverage. Um, let me let me let me reshape your thought process about that, and let me tell you from the top down that I empower you as a BC or a captain to send people home and get them the fuck out of here when they have something like that. And if this ever happens again, don't you dare hold them back and tell them they can't go. Get them out of here, and then we'll figure it out later. Like start start to change it one person at a time because what happens is, and I've seen it happen over the last 15 years in my organization is it, it did work. It, we are a much better department than we were. It is a much better culture. Our recruitment and retention issues are nowhere near what they were. In fact, we're fully staffed, which is probably one of the only organizations anywhere around this region to be able to say that. Um, and it all starts with one person putting in the sacrifice and the effort and not giving up and trying to affect one person next to them because that person affects two other people and pretty soon, those those stone heads, you know, my kid, my daughter shared this. My daughter said something to me the other day. She called somebody a mosquito brain. And I laughed my ass off when she said that. And I'm like, that is funny. Um, but but in, in this context, there are a lot of mosquito brain chiefs out there, paper tigers that get up and get to where they've gotten because they took a cert to have an education, but they don't understand the value of the people. They don't take care of the people. And sometimes the only way to fix that is retirements. And, uh, and that's tough because, you know, sometimes that takes time to change. But people move on and people retire. And the more people in the bottom that, are, that understand the importance of what we're talking about today and understand the importance of pushing that agenda, you know, eventually you will see positive change in your organization. Eventually you will see... Um, the fruits of your labor, uh, but but it all starts with your engine company, your ambulance, your fire station. It all starts at the bottom, because I I get I get that we have a a job where, you know, we're we're military driven, and you know the more 
skis you have on your on your uh, on your um, collar or the more bugles you have in your collar, whatever you want to call them, uh, tend to give you more power. I get, I get that. But ultimately, it's, it's, it's the males and females, the brothers and sisters that are, that are in those fire stations and riding those trucks um, that really, uh, really make the biggest difference and, uh, and, and start there. And if you start there, um, it, will, it will get better. And hopefully you'll get people in those hiring positions like myself that say, you know what, I want to hire good people. Um, I want to hire those people that are fun to work with, that, that, that care about those brothers and sisters next to them, that care about this job. And, uh, and the, more, the more we hire of those people, the, the more the tide starts changing. And um, that's just kind of where uh, it's a long way to way of, winded way of saying uh, it starts with one and it can grow into an army and uh, that's that's kind of my that's all I can do is speak for myself and uh, and be able to look back and say you know 15 years ago I was that person sitting in the fire station going how do we change this and it's been a lot of goddamn work it's put a lot of wrinkles in my face and uh, and high blood pressure pills but um, but it's all worth it because I can look back now and say, you know, humbly that, um, that it is, if I was to leave tomorrow, the organization's in a good place. It's in a good, has a good future. And, uh, and the culture that I was so frustrated with, um, is going away, you know? So hope that helps. I, I don't know. No, that's absolutely perfect, man. I, uh, I agree with everything that you just said, uh, or it's funny how, our careers kind of mirror, you know, the same, I'm yeah. in the same boat, you know, 15 years in at captain, I've been a captain at that point, almost eight years, uh, rode up as a battalion or, uh, you know, cleared as a, as a ride up battalion, active battalion for several years during that same time period and all that. And then here I am going somewhere that has a, a good culture, a good group of guys, uh, and, and a good direction, a great reputation, all that I went and now I'm back to, you know, riding backwards and, and, uh, being a pipeman again, for that specific thing. So it's funny because it's the, it's the exact same deal as what you're talking about of, of making that decision and going over there. Uh, the only thing I would add to what you said, uh, because I agree with all of it, I think that that is the, that is the reality. It, it does take you having to sometimes wait out those people and moving and, and encouraging good people to move up. The only thing I'll add is for those guys that are going to start moving up and, and try to make that difference is don't forget your frustrations now. Uh, and don't forget who you are and, and what you believe in now because it may take you a long road and it may be a painful road to finally get up to that top spot that you're you know wanting to do it and don't I guess basically don't lose your soul during that transition because as we all know it's a it's a rough political field it's a it's a lot of hoops you got to jump through it's a you know let's be real it's a lot of ass kissing that you got to do at a lot of places to get up to that spot but once you do, remember why you wanted to get there. Uh, don't become, so I guess, true. don't become what you hated. You know what I mean? So true. Yeah, man. I mean, ultimately, uh, start, you know, let's have another, let's have another chat on another day about, about that topic because, um, gosh, it just, I mean, I could talk for another hour. How about, how about those people that, uh, that the, 
the flyer comes out for promotion and then they become someone different or mm-hmm. or they get promoted they walk in and all of a sudden day one they try to be someone that they weren't you know those are all massive massive failures um and and things that will just dis- destroy people uh, i always say like it's really easy to get i know some people are going to push back on this but in my opinion it's easy to get the badge um you know, it's easy to get that captain badge, that BC badge. It's 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 drawn out for you what you have to do to get there. Yeah, and sometimes um, no, it only no, takes I, three months to you know you prep, yeah, I, prep for I, three I, months. I guess yes, uh, yeah, study for a test, right? Mm-hmm. Um, be a salesman, uh, make some, make yourself look way better than than what you really are. I mean, this it it is easy to get the badge, and I I don't I know some pe- some people are going to say no, it's not, and and I get that, but my point is, it's easy to get the badge. But just because you have the badge doesn't mean the job's going to be easy, and doesn't mean that you um, you can walk in day one and be who you think you uh, need to be or who you want to be. Um, if we if we all just get back to hey, you know, earn respect before we before we expect respect, um, and we get back to the core values of people. We get back to taking care of Mrs. Smith, and we get back to the blue collar part of this job. Um, you know, I think we're headed in the right direction. Um, but, but yeah, uh, that's a whole gosh. You know, the whole promotional topic and and uh, not losing sight of who you were and what you stand for. It's very easy to do when you put on that gold badge. It's very easy to forget about where you came from. It's very easy to forget about your core values um, and you start to be, you can be a puppet, you know, you can be a puppet and you can have these misconceptions that I need to be this type of person and uh, nothing could be more untrue than that. That's just complete failure. Um, and I always tell, tell, tell new chief officers like, Hey, um, what's the most important thing you can do? The most important thing you could do is earn the respect of those people below you. And that to me is a key, a key to failure of leadership is people think that I have to earn the respect of the people above them. And um, I'm here to tell you that you can earn all the respect in the world to the people above you. But if you don't earn the respect from the people beside and behind you, uh, none of that shit matters. And you're going to be, you're going to be miserable in your job. You're going to be uh, a failure. And, and and you mentioned something earlier, like there's plenty of people out there that have some psychological ability to just, to just look in the mirror and see, you know, a birthday cake when it's a pile of shit. Um, I, I don't, I can't explain the psychology of that. There's plenty, you know, that's real. Uh, there's people out there that just look in the mirror and like, I'm doing a great job when it's, you know, the fires burning behind them. Um, it, it that I, you know, I'm not a psychologist and I can't explain that, but, um, but yeah, man, we could talk for days. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm of, loving it, man. But yeah. I, I know that you probably got stuff to do and I got to go pick up kiddos from school. So yeah, man, well, let's, uh, we'll get together after, after and, uh, try to figure out another, another day for you to come back on and we yep. can hit this because, Anytime. uh, I'm, I'm loving the, the message that you're putting out. So, uh, but 
thank you for all that you're doing. Thank you for just, you know, from a guy down here in Texas that grew up working hard and I see the value of working hard on a fire ground. And, and to me, that's what really matters because you can do all the, the birthday parties you want to, and you can, you can go and do all the PRs passing out the stickers and the fire helmets. But if you can't perform when that person's calling for, for the worst day of their life and you can't put out and understand that you don't quit working until the job is done. Uh, to me, that's a failure. I think that, that ultimately that's when it matters, being able to work hard, being able to really do the job and get dirty and sweaty and just put in the work. That's what matters to me as, as a firefighter because that's if my house is on fire and i seen 20 guys sitting in the front yard laid up like they're all about to die and my house is still burning and I put, you know, potentially had a kid or an animal or something like that inside there, I'm going to be pissed. I want to see people working. And I think that's a general consensus for all taxpayers. Uh, if your house is on fire, I want to see some guys working. <laughs> yep. Um, yep. I think that's a fair assessment. So, well, man, I'll wrap yep. it up. You got any, uh, anything yep. closing? Uh, I, I really appreciate yeah. you coming on. Yeah, no, I just, I, I appreciate the time, you know, I appreciate the opportunity. Um, I, I'm just, yeah, I, I, uh, just a guy from California, you know, I'm, I realized that, uh, that I, that I'm not, I don't speak for everybody and my opinions, you know, some of them are wrong. Some of them are right. I don't know. It's, it's based off your opinions, but ultimately I just, I, I have a ton of respect for those people like yourself that are, that whether you're whether you're speaking or you're not your platform is trying to push um positive agendas to better our service and at the end of the day someone asked me like how are you satisfied like the hard i think one of the hardest questions i've ever been asked and i think about it often especially as i get towards the end of my career when you retire um are you going to be fulfilled like one of the problems with people like myself and i'm sure you and a lot of people listening is like we just never satisfied. It's like I, I get a bachelor's degree and then I'm like, and you know, then I'm like, ah, I guess I got to get my master's, you know, or, or, uh, or whatever the, the issue is. Like, I just never feel, uh, like I'm fulfilled, but at some point I'm going to have to retire. And at some point I'm going to have to hang up the boots and I'm going to have to move on. And, uh, and so I think for all the listeners, if you think about that, whether it's your first year on the job or your 30th year, you think about what's gonna, what makes you feel fulfilled in this career. There's gonna be plenty of people that just, you know, a, a paycheck and retirement and uh, and and retirement benefits are, are good enough. Um, they're not for me. And what's gonna make me f- fulfilled is to be able to look in the mirror and be able to look at the product of the organization that I've been a part of, and say that, you know, people enjoyed working with me that I made it a better place and they enjoy coming to work. And if you can create that culture, um, kudos to you. And I appreciate your platform and the people like yourself that are trying to push those agendas because ultimately uh, why you do this, I'm going to assume is because you care about the job and you care about the people. And the more we do that, um, the better this job is going to be. And uh, so thank you. Thank you for your time, the platform and the opportunity and uh, happy to come back on anytime. Awesome, man. Well, Thank you for that. Uh, that's exactly what we're trying to do is just 
it's all about the people for me. And I think that's yeah. why, you know, there's a, I say all the time, there's a million podcasts out there. They're touching tactics and operations and nozzles and hose lines and all that stuff. And I know a lot of that information, but that's not my forte for me. It's all about the people. It's about, it's about the people and their families and their careers. And, and that really is because to me, we don't have this. We, you can, I love that you talked about the brotherhood thing earlier, because that's one of my little quotes that I say for me, it's about, uh, establishing a real brotherhood, not just bumper stickers and bullshit. Uh, yeah, that, that deep down, that is what it's all about for me. So I, I appreciate you for that. And, uh, I won't take up any of your time, any more of your time, man, but thank you for coming on and, uh, let's do it again. Yep. You got it. All right. I couldn't have, uh, I couldn't ask for a better episode. We covered so many different topics and it just really fired me up. I, man, it's so crazy to meet people from, from parts of the country you never even been to or never even heard of that they have, uh, very similar careers to yours. They have very similar outlooks and, and struggles and uh, vision and everything. It's it's just so cool, and, and it just shows that as a, as a fire service, we really are a big community, and there's certain things that we obviously need to address. There is some, some major areas of concern that a lot of people have. There's major, major areas, whether it's with personnel, whether it's with culture, uh, tactics, operations. There's a lot of things that we really do need to address. And so I hope that all of you uh, really do understand that's what I'm doing with this platform and, um, you know, continue to share our content, keep putting the show out. A lot of you are, are getting even better about posting. Every time I post, uh, post a new episode, I see it, you know, it'll start getting shared and getting shared. And, and that's really what it's going to take guys. Y'all, uh, you know, just continue to, to help me to try to get, get these real words out, try to get real content out of shit that matters and stuff that's really making a difference in people's lives and, and hopefully pointing them in a good direction. So with that being said, man, I'm going to wrap this show up. Um, I hope y'all enjoyed the guest. It's been a really a pretty busy week this week. I, I did the two other episodes this week, put them out, and you know this will be a third episode this week that we recorded. I have several other guests lined up that it's going to be hard discussions like this. With I got some pretty difficult questions for some people, and uh, you know I want I want answers from folks that I think are making a difference out there. I think that their answers are going to hold a lot of weight for the direction of the fire service and what we can do. I've been working on some specialty stuff. I reached out to several groups on Facebook. I'm going to go ahead and, and let y'all know I made a post basically asking you if you're part of a fool's group anywhere in the nation, let me know. Send me a private message. Basically, guys, this is the deal. I'm going to go ahead and put it out here. Uh, as you all know, I have the ability and the um, opportunity to make custom cigar bands for guys for custom cigar lines. I have been speaking and working with a couple fools groups here in Texas, and we're moving forward on being able to make some some custom cigars for these guys. That's gonna you know represent their fools group and make a you know just a badass personalized cigar for them, where they have something to be proud of, have something to show off, and potentially you know if everything the the details and all that that we're working out it's going to be an additional way for them to earn some income to go towards their general fund or whatever you want to call it so i'm putting this out there because i am spending the money and i'm putting up the expense to be able to do this for the fools group because i believe in their mission as a whole i believe in what those groups are doing just from the little exposure that i have to them i believe in what they're doing for the fire service i think it's in line with what i'm doing on this podcast 
And so I'm willing to, um, to basically partner and, you know, y'all help me out. I help you out. And it's going to be that kind of deal. So if you're part of a fool's group anywhere in the nation, reach out to me. Uh, you know, if you're interested in, in having a, a custom cigar line for your fool's group, I'm going to leave it that I'm not going to get any more on the details because it's some little things that I'm working out as far as the manufacturing, exactly how we're going to do it. But basically just know that it's going to be something that can be personalized for y'all and just be a really cool uh, experience as far as being able to have your very own fool's group, fool's chapter cigar that y'all can rep and share at your meetings. And for these conferences and stuff, we're going to be able to come out, have a booth set up. Uh, do some presentations and some demonstrations on exactly how the third alarm cowboy cigars are made and all that good stuff so reach out to me if that's y'all we have the four pack up four pack of third alarm cowboy cigars is up with still a 10 percent discount go on there and check that out on the website thirdalarmcowboys.com i also just put up yesterday a valentine's day special on single cigars that's uh comes with a promo code uh v-day 24 so you know get your valentine's to go ahead and, and uh order you a cigar as uh as your valentine's day gift you can enjoy it chilling in the hot tub or whatever it is that you're doing but i'm gonna do that for y'all with a little with a little discount just go to uh go to the website and check it out with that being said guys we really do have a lot of stuff coming up i've been working on uh working on a whole lot of stuff like i've told y'all over the last few weeks so i am getting ready to jump off of here and go pick up kiddos so We'll see y'all on the next one. Damn